Welcome to the Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm the Dyad, and this is Tower of Heaven. of the show business. Thank you to Polyester Ties for the iTunes review. Keep them coming, folks. I love seeing the notifications in my inbox. Also, I had a serendipitous moment at work last week. In episode 6, Identity Crisis, I mentioned a game company using the suffix GMBH. I was curious what it meant, especially since the first and last letters were in capitals, but I decided not to dig any deeper at that time. Well, I came across GMBH again, but this time I decided to look it up. It's short for, and I'm um, sorry in advance to any German friends, Gesellschaft mit Beschkranter Haftung. And it turns out it's basically just their equivalent to an LLC, an entity that limits liabilities. Hey, knowledge is power. I promise to limit myself to only one butchering of a German phrase. This week, I'm starting off with something a little different. Actually, this whole week we're going to get real weird with it, but we'll get into that as we go. Starting off, the game Tower of Heaven is a 2009 2D action platformer developed by ASCIISoft. The game was built in Game Maker, and a Flash version was released in 2010. The soundtrack was composed by Flashy Goodness, and I wasn't able to find a real name for him. 
Don't you hate it when some dude on the internet just goes by an alias and doesn't even use his real name on stuff? Ugh. This track is called Indignant Divinity, and it feels like a spiritual successor to a Game Boy track or something like that. I really like it. It works really well because the game itself uses the pea soup Game Boy color palette. I think it has to have been intentionally done, and so a much deserved kudos to Flashy Goodness. As for Game Maker, as you might guess from such a generic title, there have been multiple different programs to use some iteration of that name. My best guess is that this was done in Yo-Yo Games Game Maker Studio, but I'm not 100% certain. Game Maker is a proprietary game creation system designed by Mark Overmars in the Delphi programming language. Thanks to a user-friendly UI and fairly easy drag-and-drop options, it allows would-be developers to get their hands dirty without digesting a programming language. I've been a fan of engines like this since the days of 1993's Click and Play, and that's K-L-I-K to the uninitiated. Click and Play itself is now available for free online if you want to see what a more primitive version of a game-making utility looks like. As for Game Maker, it's an important part of the indie game scene and has been used in some exceedingly popular games like Undertale. I think probably most hardcore video game fans have tried their hand at making their own game at one time and another, and so there's probably a few of you out there who might even be familiar with Click and Play. And actually, I'm going to play something from Click and Play. It's not going to be the peak of video game music composition, but it is something I have tremendous affinity and nostalgia for. Click and Play had eight or so demo games that you could play designed to showcase the abilities of the program. At first, I wanted to play a song that's used from the demo game Racing Line, but I can't find a clean sample of it, and I couldn't find the game file that it comes from. I read somewhere that Racing Line midis are taken from another game, Network Q Rally, which was also developed by Europress, but comparing the soundtracks, that doesn't really seem right. In short, instead I'll play a track from the demo game Condition Red. I saw that Mel Croucher is credited with the sound samples for Click and Play, so I'm assuming that this is his work as well. So for the PC, from the game Click and Play, this file is simply called Cond3. Thank you. 
We're going to keep up the theme of picking tracks from unusual sources as we move on to the next song. The game is a homebrew game from the Sharp 68000, which is also a new system on the show. If you don't know what homebrew is, here's the Wikipedia definition. It's a term used to describe games and other software developed by consumers of proprietary computer hardware platforms such as game consoles that have hardware restrictions and are not usually user programmable. So what does that mean, really? It's essentially basement savants programming games for consoles without the use of a dev kit. Often the consoles they program for don't even have a dev kit. In fact, to put it more plainly, you're basically hacking a system to allow you to put your own software on it. I sit down at my kitchen table and crank out a new NES game in 2017. While the term homebrew is now more popular thanks to the Wii channel, the popularity of the actual homebrewing itself is dwindling. There are now a number of better and easier open software platforms to program for, for example the Android and the Raspberry Pi, not to mention the game engines like I mentioned earlier in the show. That being said, there are still unofficial games coming out for old consoles like the NES and the Atari 2600. To give a little perspective, I recommend a short YouTube video that talks about the constraints of programming from an older system. I'll link it to the blog post for this episode. It comes from the game designer of the recent game Retro City Rampage, V-Blank Entertainment. The game itself is reminiscent of the classic GTA games, a top-down open-world carjacking simulator, but the game has an 8-bit aesthetic. The video talks about his attempt to port the faux 8-bit game to an actually playable NES version. Jumping back to homebrew games generally, some notable examples of software include Beats of Rage, Super Mario War, D-Pad Hero, and probably the most famous, Somari. More on that to come. Finally, coming back to the song itself, the only credit I could find for this game is simply the alias Karuchan. I assume that means he or she is responsible for this awesome soundtrack as well as the game itself. Since we're going to hear more X68000 tracks in the near future, I'll hold off on a spec overview for now. From the game Sword of Ilksor, composed by Karuchan, for the Sharp X68000, this is Wayward Energy.
Okay, time to buckle up. I've got a couple topics I want to cover in this segment, and I think I'm going to go along with it. The next track I'm going to play comes from the Dendi console. Well, technically, I guess it isn't exclusive to the Dendi, but the Dendi is my favorite Famiclone. The word Famiclone is a portmanteau of Famicom and Clone, if you didn't piece that together. Famiclone's replicated NES hardware designed to play cartridges from the proprietary NES and Famicom systems. In the late 1980s, there were allegedly hundreds of Famiclones available, most coming from Asia. I guess the contemporary example would be something like the Retron series of consoles. Due to the sheer number of imitators, there is a huge amount of variety in the way the systems look and feel. There's even portable Famicoms, and any number of different controller variants. And because the consoles don't have the 10 NES authentication chip, most were able to run unofficial games that wouldn't work on the official Nintendo products. That includes the wonderful world of bootlegs. Software for the systems were often multi-carts, cramming dozens if not hundreds of games on a single cartridge. The games were usually unlicensed copies of official games, sometimes with moderate ROM hacking to make minor changes. Famiclones were especially popular in some of the places that never saw official releases of the NES, such as the case with Russia, which is the home of the Dendi. Dendi is a Taiwanese NTSC console with a forced PAL mode. It was released in early 1990s by the Steepler Company. As I mentioned, because there was no official console release in the USSR from Nintendo, the Dendi saw popularity roughly equivalent to the bona fide versions across the globe. By 1994, the console had sold over 1 million units in Russia. In fact, the system was so famous it spawned a Russian gaming TV show, the first of its kind. Called Dendi, the New Reality, it was broadcast from 1994 to 1996. The Dendi can also boast a charming elephant mascot, which I will definitely post pictures of on the blog. I love this guy. He almost got his own show as well, and in fact, while it wasn't released, the show was even filmed. The Dendi was released in two main versions, the Classic and the Junior. Each had its own variants and sequels as well. The technical aspects aren't different enough from the NES to dive into further, but I will point out that games for the system didn't support a battery backup. That means you can't save your games, which means genres like RPGs didn't really appear on the Dendi. So let's hear something from the system. As I mentioned, the software was often bootleg games, and while there were popular titles like Somari, there were a number of unlicensed ports, for example, Golden Axe, Aladdin, Donkey Kong Country, and the game I'll be playing from, Earthworm Jim 2. Earthworm Jim 2 is a port of the Mega Drive version of the game of the same name. Made by Super Game for the Famicom, or in this case, the Dendi, it came out in 1997. The sound engine of the game was recycled from the Konami game Twin B3. I think the arrangers did an excellent job with this game. I'm sure it wasn't easy to sort of downgrade the Genesis soundtrack to an NES clone, and uh, I'm sure they didn't have a huge budget, and I'm sure they didn't have a lot of time to do it. Anyway, I think it turned out pretty well. Without further ado, from the Dendi, arranged by Victor Chen and Ren Yongming, from the game Earthworm Jim 2 by Super Game, 
This track is called Anything But Tangerines. I like this track a lot, but it honestly wasn't my first choice to play after my Dendi tirade. I actually wanted to play something from the bootleg port of Golden Axe, but nary an NSF, nor MP3, nor YouTube playlist could be found. It seems like the only thing that exists for the Golden Axe port is ROMs on the internet. And so, I got to thinking. NES music doesn't grow on trees, right? Someone somewhere had to rip it at some point. How hard could that be? Well, as I learned, well, well beyond my comprehension. NSF is the file extension for the audio format used for Nintendo and Famicom music. Probably the most common format anyway. It condenses the file size and retains extremely high quality. NSF itself stands for NES Sound Format. The format was invented by Kevin Horton and was originally designed for playback in his custom hardware device named Hard NES. I like to get a little crunchy when I can, but I'm certainly no expert in this area. Essentially, NSF files use the original audio data following a header. But first, the NSF file must be extracted from the game somehow. It's usually from a ROM file. And I tried to learn how, but you need to know 6502 assembly language, hexadecimal notation, basic composition of the NES. I tried digging around in the ROM file, but I really couldn't make heads or tails of it. I managed to find a couple of quote-unquote tutorials online, but I didn't think that they were very helpful. Actually, it sort of came across to me like a little bit of gatekeeping, like the authors were kind of saying, this is how much I know. This is how you can do what I'm doing, but I'm not really going to explain how to do it. Anyway, I definitely tried, and in fact, I burned up my banked episodes because I wanted to keep tinkering with it. Normally, I record a week or two in advance, so I have sort of a buffer in case something happens. And I have a one-year-old kid, so my free time comes in dog years. 
One hour is worth seven. But I guess I don't have it in me to rip an NSF file just yet. Oh well. Let's move on to the last track. Oh, and I'm playing it last for a reason. It's spectacular, but it comes in at around seven minutes long. Interestingly, this track actually comes from Laserdisc of all places. I won't take for granted that listeners even know what a Laserdisc is, so despite this overlong episode, here is a short primer. Created in 1978, Laserdisc was the first optical disc media format. That means that it predated DVDs by almost 20 years. While my family never owned one of these, I remember a friend of my father's loaned us a Laserdisc player once. The discs themselves were the size of vinyl records, or maybe a dinner plate if you need a more modern reference. In fact, that guy was so sure that the Laserdisc was the next big thing. I don't even remember what movie we watched, but I remember I didn't care about the video quality because it wasn't a cool movie. I went back to my VHS for another 5 to 10 years. Well, as it turns out, there were also video games available on many Laserdisc units. Laserdisc games used pre-recorded video, either live action or animation, played from a Laserdisc, either as the entirety of the graphics or as part of the graphics like the backgrounds. The most popular Laserdisc game is Dragon's Lair, a full-motion cartoon game released in June 1983 by Cinematronics. It's since been ported to dozens of different systems, and probably the vast majority of uh, video gamers who are aware of Laserdisc games at all know Dragon's Lair. But due to the fact that games used pre-recorded graphics and imagery, they didn't vary much from game to game, and had almost no replay value. Consequently, most home Laserdisc systems failed. The game I'm going to be playing a song from is a rail shooter developed by Namco. It's part of the Zevius series, and it also appeared on standard arcade machines. But from what I read, the track I'm playing from was exclusive to the Laserdisc version of the game. It only plays on the gameplay Laserdisc during the character's data section. Before I go... As always, special thanks to Alan Euler, a.k.a. Periodical, for editing and mixing the episode. And also, happy birthday. You can follow the show at thediadpresents.blogspot.com, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcatcher. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. I like to see those emails keep coming in, notifying me that people are showing me some love. You can follow me on Twitter at The Dyad, and you can email me at thediadpresents at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page which you can find by searching for the name of the podcast or by searching for at the dyad. Until next time, from the game Solvalu, from the Laserdisc, composed by Hiroyuki Kawada, this is Reminiscences. <laughs>